Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me this week on Tia Time. We'll get to the show in just a moment. First, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have posted a rating on Apple Podcast. Apple Podcast is an app that can be downloaded to your phone or computer. The algorithm it uses allows more artists and art enthusiasts like yourselves to hear about the show. So if you haven't posted a rating yet, do it now. Thank you. On with the show. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, the weekly podcast where we discuss the methods, challenges, and real-life experiences of living our creative dreams. What kind of creative warrior are you? Musician? Filmmaker? Painter? Choreographer? Poet? Sculptor? Fashionista? Let's talk about it right now. I'm your host, Tia Imani Hanna. Welcome to Tia Time with Artists, and this week my guest is composer Greg Hill. He is like out there big guns producing and creating several it sounds like hundreds of compositions and they're being put out in mass by today's top jazz musicians and latin jazz musicians and it's amazing to see what's been happening so welcome to the show greg thank you it's really good to see your smiling face again it's been it's been a while it's been a little while it's like we both were living up in uh, the lansing area and i've moved down to detroit area so it's been a while since i've seen you in um i'm really good friends with your wife lois we've worked in the shackley trade together for some time (laughs) And, and greg and lois are the heads of the Jazz Alliance of Mid-Michigan and resurrected that program and got the community support for the jazz in that er- in the area. Thank you all for mm-hmm. doing that. And also you guys have been a, a supporter of this show too. So thank you very much for that. I like to help out wherever I can. The jazz is my passion and there's, we have such great musicians in this area. Lansing, Ann Arbor, Detroit, it's an axis of just really fine players and Whenever they touch this area, we have a performance area at our house, actually. So we also like to pick in national acts as they're touring, doing weeks during uh, shows during the week. And occasionally we'll do local groups or we'll put the new recording of mine. We'll, the group will put this as part of their tour. So we can see 80 people and we've, we've turned it into a, a real performance space. Let's go back a little way. So first off... You didn't do music as a career in your life, but you have always done music? Or when did you start writing compositions? Probably when I was like three years old, I'd reach up, reach above. I'd be barely reach the keys, and I'd be tapping out ideas on the, my grandfather's piano. Okay. So I've just always, I've always composed, even. I've always had a piano, I've always composed. But I don't have any... I don't have any training to speak of. I had two years on the saxophone in high school, which I, I was, I had a good run on the saxophone. They said I could go on to college, but I, did, I chose other things. And I didn't really land in the composing world till around 84 when I had a young family, but I also had time to sit at the piano and get serious. So I started, went to Marshall Music and I picked up a whole armful of books on jazz theory. And I said, you know, this is something that really interests me. I want to learn everything there is to know. So I, I composed as I learned, basically. That's the bulk of the first book, The Outdoor Inspection. That's some heavy learning mixed in with some creativity on my part. Now, when you're writing, do you just, does it just come to you? Do you hear it on the winds? How do you, because everybody composes in a different way. And are you one of those composers that it's a physical act, like you're out hiking and or you'll hear something in your head or does some outside stimulus get you started or how does that work for you? That's all of the above. Initially though, I would play as I was learning the the depths of jazz theory, I would play fragments and then these fragments would, some of them would stick. So I'd write two bars, four bars. I said, I don't have anything right now. Maybe I'll put this aside. So it's the old, uh, like the, like the writers do it, the scraps of paper and the hat. That was literally the first tunes were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two bars, four bars, six, but they weren't tunes. But then I could go back and dig them out of the hat and put okay. them together when the thing finally took shape in my head as, as, to, as a full tune. You know? So you want to complete the circle. You don't want to throw out fragments. You want a complete tune 
and tells a story. That's the that's the the goal of writing is to tell that story and make it a complete story and make it interesting. And you just add your wrinkles and the inspiration can come. Um, there's a bird outside my window. If he's hitting certain notes, that you know my ears perk up. I said that's an interesting interval there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or in Lansing, Michigan, you hear those trains off in the distance, those rumbling, rumble in the middle of the night. Okay, that's a little rhythm. So you pick up. I'll give you a good example. We go to New Orleans quite a bit, and there's our place we stayed at was next to a landscape uh, company. So they had ponds that were loaded with bullfrogs. So these bullfrogs would actually, they put tunes together. That's a tune. And I actually wrote several tunes based on what the on the bullfrog's tones, the, you know, the back and forth. Right. So like a little, little orchestra is what they are. So. so you just take all that stuff as a gift, and it's really. It's your daily experience, and it's all what, and also looking at a, a a giant picture of what makes how's this going to sound as a totality. Mm-hmm. Be sure to make it a whole. Don't show off. Don't be cute. Tell a story of some sort. I think that's the key to composing. Well, now that's melody. it's all what, and also looking at a a, a giant picture of. What makes, you know, how's this going to sound as a totality? Mm-hmm. Be sure to make it a whole. Don't show off. Don't be cute. Tell a story of some sort. I think that's the key to composing.
What does that mean? Don't be cute. So what, what does that mean? Don't be cute. Cause everybody has a different take on that. So like for you, what would be considered cute as opposed to having something that has a little bit more depth to it? I'm not a fan of contrafact. Um, that sometimes it leaves interesting stuff, but all right, look, there's mechanical ways, right? Let's play this twice as fast. Or let's play this. You know, Let's play it really, you know, there's that, those are things, those are legitimate ways to arrange, but sometimes it's just show off stuff mm-hmm. to, to take something that's already written and then give it a twist, but it doesn't, it's not a meaningful twist. You have to put some, you have to put some thought into it. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to show off, you don't need to be gimmicky unless you're trying to be. Okay. Then you can be, um, you can be schmaltzy, you can be deliberately schmaltzy and corny. As part of a in and out theme where you're you're doing some complex bebop and you'll throw you'll go on some like a, t- a TV theme or something. That's not being really cute, but you don't want to overdo it. Let's put it that way. Okay. All it's right. just a compositional trick that mm-hmm. you, for contrast. So you can go from dissonance to consonance, you can go from a totally pop theme and be part of the bebop section. So you're just you're contrasting. The composition itself, you're showing different sides to the idea. Okay. I don't get to talk to very many composers about composition. So I just wanted to pick your brain while I had you here. When you're writing, do you ever picture a particular person playing on a song and write that for that person, even though that person may or may not be alive? Or do you write something and say, I really yes. could hear Charlie Parker playing this or... You know, when I'm, you're I've writing it. for all my family members and friends and influential musicians in my life. So that's, yeah, they're a good starting point. Mm-hmm. I wrote a tune for Lois called Louisiana, which is a combination of Lois and Louisiana, because we've, you know, that's our second town when we're not in Michigan. And uh, so that was just, a, yeah, that was an easy one. I just gave it a little New Orleans twist and I just thought of her just, I just thought of her and some the tune sort of grew out of just thinking about her so I've done that with right two dozen people and friends and influences right so yes individuals are a great 
source of inspiration. Okay. So you're thinking more about the characteristics and what kind of sounds remind you of that person? It's not really anything concrete. It's just you just pick up the vibe mm-hmm. of who that person is and it takes you someplace. So I wrote a, a tune for Rodney uh, Whitaker. And it's real simple. It's, it's, it's a simple tune, but it's, um, I just envisioned him playing in 7-4 with the bass as the lead. So that was that tune came easily. Just the, the, his personality. I've written to my sister, Sue, and that Paul Keller in Ann Arbor uh, put it together a big band chart of that. And but just to me, that characterizes her quirkiness and her, her individuality. And it's a quirky big band tune. Hmm. But without her, without me thinking of her and her personality, that tune wouldn't have come to me. It was just a good... It's, a, it's inspiration, really. But ultimately, it's just inspiration. When you first started trying to really solidify this back in the 80s, did you copy styles for a while before you got to your own style or not so much? No, I was already, since I was a little kid, I was just, I've been writing since I was a child. I mean, I play parties, I just make stuff up. No, piano was not my instrument, but I sure, I had a passion for it. Mm-hmm. So I always had a piano. So I was always writing stuff. So when I expanded the writing. I was I kept in the mode of trying to come up with stuff on my own, basically. Of course, the influences are are in your head, so you're always we're all a little bit we're all Thelonious Monk to some degree. We're all Freddie Hubbard to some degree. You know, but not on the list. Mm-hmm. We're all Billy Holiday to some degree because that stuff gets inside you, and then it comes out. It goes into this unconscious this unconsciousness area, this pool of dreams or whatever, and that's that you just extract it. That just pop up as you write. You written stuff. You write stuff. So mm-hmm. when you solve, you're just you're drawn from everything. But but to answer your question, no, I was determined to just follow my my course of trying to create just out of the blue as much as possible. Okay. Without, without imitating styles or drawing from the great players or they got in my head, but I was, I didn't not consciously go after their style. So. Now, how many tunes do you think you've written? That these have been cataloged exactly or actually? 100, exactly 145. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Let me get to introspection. I have spontaneity. I have moon ducks. And I have the tuning fork. So. And I think I only have the first one, so I have to get the other ones. I'll but the uh, to you. Oh, Complimentary. Great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. That's really nice. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'll send you the CDs, too. I have seven CDs right now, and I'll have another three in production. Oh, fantastic. You've just been busy. Retirement frees up all that time, and I've, the passion has never subsided. I've always, it's been there all along, but when, mm-hmm. you, when you have free reign, then you can really do stuff. What did you retire from? What did you do all those years? Well, I drove a did- truck for 25 years in Lansing. Okay. I was a teamster, and that was just to raise a family. It was a good steady wage, so I did it, and it freed, it freed me up. I had a cassette player in my truck, and I, we traveled traveled mostly Michigan, northern Ohio, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I was home every night. But I could catch all the I could catch all the CMU and the jazz stations, and because I was driving in the middle of the night half the time. Even you know, if there was jazz on the airwaves, I could pick that up. I had a cassette player, so I just kept that thing loaded. I just was nonstop music. And I wrote as I was driving. I'd, just, I'd write tunes as I was driving. So I had all that. I had freedom to do that. I didn't have to, there was nobody looking over my shoulder. I was on my own. So I could really soak up the music and, and use, use that time alone to write stuff. So, so there's something to be said for the rhythm of the road. And you know, that does get to you mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And my. Youngest son and my oldest son formed a technology company called Liquid Web, and that had a 1997 to 2015 run. I developed some skills along the way, managing money and stuff, so I stepped in and ran the finances for the company. And so I took one of the companies sold in 2015. I took a retirement mm-hmm. settlement, and that frees me up to do some of these projects. So. Oh, that's awesome. Good well, for that's you, man. <laughs> Driving a truck and... CFO of a company, that's that's weird, but that's my story. (laughs) No, that's a pretty amazing journey, just that in and of itself. But you kept writing the whole time. This show is about how 
as artists, how do we do it? How do we keep going? How do we do it? And if you have a passion for something, you always find a way and just to encourage artists to keep going no matter what's going on. Even if it's just one little snippet, like you were talking about, you have that scrap of paper that you just have a couple of bars that you put down or something. And if you're writing a play or a poem or something, it's little bits and pieces, but you just keep doing that. And that might be all you write for that day or that week, but you keep going anyway. So I established a hard and fast rule right when I started you know, producing something that had some outside appeal. And I said, you never force anything if you're not, if the inspiration is not there. That is time to quit, you know, put it aside. That's where these segments, these fragments, I call them. Mm-hmm. That's where I got started because I had, I had great ideas, but they, they didn't go anywhere. So if you try to force it to go anywhere, you don't have a good result, you have a good product. It has to flow. Right. So you have to wait for the inspiration to return. And sometimes it's a couple of hours, you walk back, oh, there it is. Or sometimes it's a couple of days, or sometimes you just park it and <laughs> go through the... When we did the transcriptions, we couldn't find a tune, and it was they're, they're all in my head, but I knew they had this tune that was bugging me, I couldn't remember it. So I went downstairs and dug through a, a pile of cassettes, and sure it was, there was some homemade recording of that tune, and we... The lost tune, because of that, it was literally lost completely in my head. And randomly, I taped it 20 years ago or so. Yeah. But that tune was, got a, a second life, came out of the dustbin, really. Yeah. And, I, I, and a, lot of the, a lot of the really simple tunes, I'll, I've gone through and written B parts or embellished them. So it's a, it's a process. Other times, you're totally lucky in the you get the whole tune all at once. You know how that works. Or yeah. Every now and then. That's an easy stuff. I can yeah. do this. But yeah. when it doesn't come easy, well, you got you cannot force it because it shows that you, know, you can't force anything. It yeah. Has to be there. It has to be there. It does because there, there are times I've got a few that I wrote. It's been 20 years since I wrote a couple of tunes and they still haven't been recorded yet because they're not quite right. You know, that there was I there was a bridge on this one tune. Everything else was great, but the bridge is not right. And I'm like, at some point, and I probably have it. I just can't figure out where it is. Right. So <laughs> I probably wrote it a long time ago, but I can't find out what fits there. And there's missing exactly a bridge. <laughs> so I so therefore it's not going to be recorded because I don't want to record it without this bridge that I think it needs. Right. Otherwise, it's just one like modal tune and I don't really want modal is fine, but I want it to go somewhere. <laughs> so I have to break it up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I totally get that. So like that's another composer question is how do you know when it's done? You just know it's done. It don't feel right. <laughs> okay. I keep using this is kind of be a cliche with me now, but you have to complete the circle. Once that circle is complete, you know that everything that everything's in there that you that you can come up with or is intended or it works it works basically. And you say, okay, it's good enough. You just walk away. It feels right. That's the other thing too, is are there I know I've got three or four tunes that I've written that are done, but I don't mm-hmm. like them. So, <laughs> so as you did it, you did all the work. They're like what they can be. They can't be anything else. They're done, but I just don't like them. Do you have tunes like that? I would set them aside and see if you like them in another year or so. Because you know, times change, your tastes change, and you mm-hmm. say, maybe that wasn't so bad after all. I've, run, I've had a lot of tunes like that. Actually. You know, this okay. isn't my best stuff. But then I get a band plays it and gets get a good arranger for band leader. Yeah, you know, that's actually pretty good. Be patient. Don't. Yeah. Uh, don't give up on them. Yeah. And if they're if they don't if they're still not good, then yeah, walk away. It's okay, nice yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes <laughs> some of them are you're just like no, <laughs> it's just not good. Um, but there's you hear stories all the time of people like Prince has a vault. They call it the vault <laughs> because there's so many tunes that he wrote every day, all day, every day. <laughs> so he has tons and tons of things that are totally produced, complete CDs that are done. That never got oh. released because he didn't like them. But he was so prolific. I guess at some point you're going to get a oh. whole bunch that just don't work. I have no idea, but that's, that's quite something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So people want it 
inside the vault. They're waiting for at some point, maybe somebody they'll release some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But by that time, people who were like here with Prince are going to be like, we don't care anymore. <laughs> but by the time, if they yeah. wait too late, but because uh, it'll be so old, it just won't fit the time because he was writing a very specific kind of style at a specific time in history. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but so I guess I don't want my stuff to be like that either. <laughs> But by the time I release it, it's like, oh, that's so passe. You know? But uh, find an arranger and have an arranger. And sometimes an arranger can, can turn that into something a lot better than what you came up with. That's happened with me. I thought they were, this isn't really great. I like it. It's, it's it might be only eight bars, though. I need an arranger to make this into something mm-hmm. that I can record. And no. I've had uh, Rodney Whitaker and Randy Napoleon. That's a really some really good arrangers as band leaders, Elvin Kelly. So yeah, they, they work their magic and I'm just saying, don't give up on these, these tunes you're not crazy about. Let somebody else take a look at them. And mm-hmm. uh, if then something might happen, something might not, but at least give them, give them a try before you just give up. True. No, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. You got to the point where you had started to really pull all these tunes together. Now, I know my part in this story is that Lois and I were chatting and she says, I don't know what to get Greg for his birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, you said he writes music. Why don't you make one of his, you know, publish or not publish, but bind up his compositions in a book for him. And so she did that, I understand. And then that's where this whole process kicked off in your mind to start doing where, this where do I send the check where do I send the check what's your address that, that kid that's actually what kicked it off because I could <laughs> visualize have it on manuscript I'm not a trained musician so mm-hmm. like Ron Newman and Sonny Wilkinson they told me and all those MSU cats they said yeah this is really good we like it we'll help you transcribe it but I was so not skilled that I didn't even mm-hmm. I couldn't face it so I had plenty of offers early on. So when, when you came up with that idea of creating a, just a, a visual look of what a book might be, that actually, she gave me that at Christmas time. And I started, I heard Eldon and Arlene McDaniel and Ron Newman right after that. Okay, now I can, I have a, I have a way of getting there because they could just, I could just play them and they would transcribe. I didn't have to learn how to put all that down. So I could do, I could do the simple stuff. I couldn't make it into you know, acceptable manuscript. So I needed their help. And I will send you a check for a certain amount of money just <laughs> because I did. I remember that story, but I don't remember that story. Yeah, you got it started by putting that idea in her head. And then she gave me the, that inspiration to actually do it. Uh, I thank just, you. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad that one of my ideas <laughs> actually pushed you out of the nest, so to speak. Because now you're seven books, seven CDs in and four books five books in? yeah four books yeah. oh my gosh that's huge yeah. that's you. huge so i'm grateful because <laughs> it's like i say that stuff it comes to me sometimes when people ask me and i'll have these great ideas i'm like oh just do this and then they're like oh okay yeah. and then they don't do it and then, so it's so nice yeah. to have somebody actually do it and have it work for them so i'm gratified by that so Thank you. <laughs> virtual hug. Virtual hug. <laughs> <laughs> Hugging you right back. So fantastic. So you've got that all worked out. The books, you got the transcription going. You had, you found arrangers. Now, how did you go about finding arrangers? You just said, oh, who do I know in the community? Who did you look at CDs and say, who arranged this? Or you just spoke to people in the community like Ron Newman and and Rodney Whitaker and Arlene McDaniel and Elvin Kelly, or what, how did you come to the arranging part? Um, going past the whole transcription thing, which was basically Elvin mm-hmm. and then Arlene and Ron dropped out after Elvin. He was very helpful, and Arlene dropped out, and Elvin and I have kept going with it. That's one aspect. So we had 145 tunes written out so that any piano player and any musician that could read well could would be able to grasp onto this stuff. And then it came time to get it performed. So I started out in 2017. I had a, at MSU Community Music School. I hired seven bands in the spring of 2017. Mm-hmm. And we did two, I think we did two shows over two weekends. And uh, 
We probably played 30, 40 tunes just to air things out. And that sort of, I got the ball rolling. Okay, here's what it sounds like live. Mm-hmm. And all the musicians enjoyed it. And it was a good crowd. They enjoyed it. Okay, I, that's it's an expenditure on my part, but it's, it's, it had a good response. And, it, and musicians were pleased. They were happy to be part of it. So it wasn't. Um, but there was no favor. Nobody was doing anybody favors or anything like that. They were actually fired up on material. So then I, we took it. We just kept it going with uh, Elvin Kelly's group. He brought in, let me see here. So we put together an album called uh, The Autrospectives. Elvin's Dancing White, Elvin Kelly, um, Ralph Armstrong, Gillian McKinney, Corey Pasaturo, Tucker Antel. Now we use Elvin's trio, Carolyn Keeble and Dennis Shabakov. Corey Pasaturo is a world famous accordion player. He's not strictly a jazz player, but we brought him from uh, New England Conservatory of Music. Mm-hmm. Well, then worked with, with New England School, Tucker Antel, another guy just to, Fantastic sax player. And then, of course, we all know and love Ralph and Gaylan. Right, so, right. And that was, that was the first uh, independent recording. I, I established a label called Cold Plunge Records. Okay. To get that out. So, to keep it rolling. So, to keep it rolling.
in Moriarty's on Tuesday night, a jazz thing, and Rodney and I mentioned one of my projects, and he said, how come I didn't get the call? I said, well, I just assumed that he was up there. He's up on this. Um, <laughs> that is so... Down on yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it turns out he, he liked the material. He's been coming out of a summer solstice meeting, so I get the professor of the jazz, the members, of, I can't say the professor of jazz. I want the members of the staff to to do an album i said well, that's great i didn't think that was right around the corner it turned out that was the album that came out earlier this year but so we wound up with his his recording group Terrell stafford tim warfield bruce barth dana hall and raquel his daughter raquel Fortin. we put the common ground album together at this point the, the arranging became a big part of things because rodney did the arrangements for common ground and raquel wrote lyrics to the tune so the ball sort of got rolling after that. I just picked, I picked band leaders later on, Randy Napoleon, that could, that had a arranging skills. Coincidentally, you know, I picked them as band leaders, but they're great arrangers. Okay. And that's why the, that's why the albums did so well, you know, at least critically, and some of them sold pretty good. But a good arranger can, can make a lot of difference. It could take, like you're, you mentioned these orphan tunes, I call them orphan tunes of mine, they haven't really taken off or anything. A good arranger will put some life into what you initially come up with. So you have a collaboration there, but it's not, you don't go out and choose an arranger. You choose, you have a, you make a connection, you envision an album, you, you pick your band leader. And in my case, fortunately, my band leaders have all been great arrangers. So that helps. There's no process about arrangers. I don't work independently with okay. arrangers. They're, they're my band leaders, basically. Okay. Yeah, I wondered, because it's always different, too, how that's going to work its way out. Because, yeah, I've thought about the, because I think you've inspired me to to look into arranging a little bit more. Because my arrangements are very basic, again, because I haven't trained in arranging. So I've been playing with it. Just with a lot of my improvisation has been based on trying to arrange things without having the writing skills. But doing it orally and orally, just laying tracks and things like that. So... Same idea, but just trying to figure it out. So to have somebody who really knows arranging really well would be helpful. So, yeah, maybe. I highly recommend that. Find find your favorite player that you want to collaborate with and just let them do their their thing. You'd be surprised how some of these tunes really come to life. Mm -hmm. I would. They see it from a different angle. And that's definitely a good idea. I will try that. I will try that. Now, you've got all of these projects going on. And then at some point you guys decided to open up your condominium and make it into a performance space. Now, how did that happen? I've been looking at the place for quite a while and then it finally opened up. The, it was available. So I just snatched it up and we knocked out the wall and combined the two combos, bought a grand piano and uh, put in a sound system, a light system, and um, just took off on its own from that point. There's, there's plenty of demand for, especially people that are traveling through the Midwest. You know, they mm-hmm. love those. They like those extra gigs and they become our friends. And we have a, we have a couple, we have three extra bedrooms on that side. So they get their privacy and they get their, they get a kitchen of their own. So they get, they have privacy and that's, I'm in, we're in demand for <laughs> the new gigs amazing. here. 
So you've got the living room circuit, basically, that goes on happening. But you have, a, like, a, beyond a living room, you have, you said, 80 seats in there? You can put foldings. Wow. That's humongous. That was something. Huh. And so what do you call the series? Over the years, we think we moved here in 2007. We had a nice little pine tree out by the lake. And eventually, the age took its toll on this little pine tree and just shriveled up and died. But we, we named our performance area the Mighty Little Tree Music Farm, based on our attachment to that little tree that used to we do to like a Charlie Brown yeah. Decoration occurs. <laughs> okay. It's thing. Yeah. So it's the mighty old tree music farm. So that's, that's <laughs> the name of it. So, well, so that is the actual, do you have a name for the space? But is that, you're living in part of it and you have guest spaces on the other part of it and the, the space in the middle is open for performance. Is that how it works? Yeah. The, um, the guest space is upstairs, and the performance area is the, is the two condos together, the floor space, okay. and grand piano room. Um, we, do, and we also do live recordings. We did the Ben Ruzo Trio, who's another traveling musician that's we're attached to, and uh, Corey Narusha uh, from Troubadour Recording Studios came in. He's, mm-hmm. He does a great mobile setup. He can, he's very capable. So we've done, I did a record with the Ben Rosenblum Trio. So Great. Unfortunately, we had to shut down. You know, the pandemic just killed everything. So sure, sure. We're looking at probably November or so. We'll fire it up again. We have to see how this latest mm-hmm. round goes with the pandemic. So hopefully, we'll get back where we were. But when things mm-hmm. get a little more less dicey out there, we'll start doing stuff again. So. Yeah, and there's always the virtual world because you can still have a few people socially spaced and all mm-hmm. of that so to keep going Detroit Jazz Festival did a good job last year and the Summer Solstice did a good job this year so as long as you got the right technicians in place and the, the and the band is comfortable mm-hmm. which they shouldn't be but they are because that vibe some somehow makes it through the fact yeah. that some like performance yeah. yeah I think it does oh. too I think it does too so What's the next thing? You've got something coming out right now? I have a new Randy Napoleon. We don't have a title for it, but this is an example of an arranger. He took some he took some tunes. He had his own concept for this album, and he, he was pitching me this two years ago. I just, I just he had a vision, and we were, we were able to collaborate and put his vision together with my material, and it's what we have in the the roughs are fantastic, so it's going to be a really good album. Randy on guitar, Quincy Davis came in from Texas on drums. Uh, Rodney's playing bass. Rick Rowe, the great Rick Rowe, I might say, mm-hmm. playing piano. And a singer named Aubrey Johnson, who's an up-and-coming singer, and she does something that, that I can't describe, really. It's like she's across the spectrum. She can do bop, she can do... We did actually did a country tune thrown in there just to, to, as a contrast. We did, it has a totally world feel to it. She has a tr- tremendous range and just an absolutely beautiful voice. And those, the combination of those musicians made a, a really good album, which is, is still, we're still editing. We're, it's not going to be out for a while. Okay. Then Mike Aia, we have another one in, that's, uh, in the studio being edited, written Patrio. So they will be playing at Michigan Jazz Fest, which is used to be Old Town Jazz Fest. Okay. On August 6th at 10 o'clock. That group has Mike Daniels on drum, John Gerwitz, saxophone, Terry Newman bass, Xavier Rosario on timbales and percussion. Mm-hmm. So I'd recommend to go to that and hear it and see that and get a taste of that group. We're in the studio right now. So that's a combination of traditional Cuban salsa. I try to contrast that and then my Latin jazz tunes. So it's not one or the other. It's, it's a little taste of Cuban, a little taste of, of Latin jazz and stuff that I put together. Hmm. And again, yeah. the rangers are, Mike's a good arranger. The range arrangements make a, a difference as well. here. So. Yeah, because like when you're writing that kind of stuff, do you, this is not an accusation, but a question. Like, do you feel like, oh gosh, I'm not Cuban, I'm not Puerto Rican, I'm not uh, Colombian or whatever, whichever Latin style you're trying to get to. 
I'm not Mexican or whatever. And do you feel like, oh, no. this isn't authentic? And you, do you like beat yourself up a little bit about that? Or you just say, no, I'll just find an arranger who knows that music. Well, that's why I picked, that's why I split the album into uh, the Mike Ahia portion is, that is strictly salsa, you know, based on some stuff from the 50s. And that's Mike Ahia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's his, those are his arrangements and his, so there's no appropriation going on. That's pure. I'm not, I would try to do that. I'm not, <laughs> I no, I don't know anything about the actual salsa. I can't reverse clave. All right, you already lost me. Okay. I can, I can see it, but I'm not going to jump in there. No. <laughs> well, these, are just, these are just traditional Latin, jazz tunes with a Latin beat. Latin beat. I see. So it's real, it's just a, a, a cultural mishmash, basically. And that's the other thing. You said the word appropriation. And I always have a little bit of a problem with the word appropriation only because everybody takes from everybody as far as art is concerned. And art wouldn't flourish if we didn't. So I always think of it as because I've written things that I know have, they might have a little bit of an Arabic thing going on inside of them, but it's not truly Arabic. I know it might have a little bit of, sometimes there's things that I think sound Asian to me, but I'm not Asian. I don't know anything about Asian culture, but I hear that when I hear different Asian cultures music, I hear things and I borrow those pieces. So I, I don't know if it's appropriation or just an homage. It's, I really like that. It's musical. We're humans on the planet and we share. <laughs> so here's my so twist on what you're doing. Yeah. It's an absorption process. Mm-hmm. You just absorb the, everything you hear all, throughout your whole life. And it comes so, out. It's in your unconscious mind and it comes out. You know. You know but, on the other hand, Rodney Whitaker, when Rodney was here, our first, the first show he did here with the group with Terrell and those guys, uh, he was talking about composition. He said, good composers borrow, great composers steal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, okay, I admit to that, but I steal little, fra- little again, back to the idea of fragments, just little, little bits. You can't, you can't write a tune without, you can't write five tunes without sounding a little bit like smoke smoke somewhere in there. So it's just, it's baked into our right. musical brains. You can't. He's part of us. It is a language. You're mm-hmm. connecting languages. I always think of, I think I mentioned this on another interview I did, is that there are connections from like the Silk Road mm-hmm. that went all the way through China and went all up into parts of Russia in that area, but way, way bit back before Russia was Russia, Mongolia. And all those people had musicians with them that went through those trails. And all some of those traders were from Venice. So you have Venetian traders in China, in Mongolia, in the up into the Soviet Union area where it used to be the Soviet Union, all those places. And those languages interspersed as well as the music interspersed. So things like and at some point you got people in Japan as well. Some some of those routes went into Japan. So you've got words like Portuguese. Portuguese, they say abrigado for thank you. You go to Japan, they say arigatu for thank you. It's the same word. It's just traded out. And it's, it's that mismatch yeah, yeah. of, of words. And even the music was doing the same. They had instruments that each other country didn't have. So they brought instruments with them. And, and the musicians got together at a pub and said, hey, what are you playing? What are you playing? Even if they didn't speak the same language, they traded things out and said let me play that or listen to this or that happened so i just kind of think that we forget that we we always do this <laughs> we always do this and I, uh, call we, it, I call it absorption because you're going back to the sources of writing tunes you just you take things in on an unconscious level every minute of the day you're just you're always taking stuff in so when you write use an Indian scale or something like that. Well, guess what? That's something you heard. Who yeah. knows when you heard that, but it didn't, it didn't leave your unconscious mind. It's just sitting, just parked there, waiting for the right moment to. Yeah, to that, was, so. that would sound really good right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I know when I've practiced certain scales, like there's a, what's that book called? There's a, it's a book of scales by Yusef Latif. 
and okay. Coltrane used to study with it. And you get these really crazy scale. And if you practice any of those scales, you say, oh, that would sound good right here. <laughs> and you start yeah. pulling out these things and you just don't know when they're going to pop up because they're not like normal scales that you'd hear. They're not Western scales that you grew up with. They're different, but they come out in your improv lines. Because you heard them at one point, and folks are like, "Whoa, what did you? Where did that come from?" It's just it another, yeah, it's just another letter in your alphabet. So, yeah, people say, "Where did you get that?" I don't know. I just I was I was in the mood. I, I felt somewhat elevated. I was it was a quiet night. The the frogs were croaking. The <laughs> fish were jumping. The ducks were going by. It just the moon was out. Mm-hmm. You go into the reverie, you don't know where this stuff comes from. You really don't know. It just, just appears out of your unconscious mind. And if you're in the right uh, right place at the right time, you get some inspiration, then you wind up with something. And you're able to compose without a keyboard, too, because you were saying you wrote when you were on the road. So you just write No, I would sing stuff. I'd write, I wrote some lyrics. I, no, I was not. Okay. That was a minor, minor. No, like, I'm not that guy, no. I need okay. a keyboard in front of me. <laughs> okay. I just wondered. Well, totally dependent. No, I'm not. I'm a little bit specialized. I don't have a lot. I'm not that guy that you're talking about. They can jump on a bandstand and play anything at any tempo and any key. I'm a composer, basically. I just play a little bit. But I, composing is what, what I'm good at, basically, what he wants to. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a, a different kind of a skill. I know my uncle, Roland Hanna, the pianist, he, one of his biggest goals was to be able to compose away from the piano as opposed to composing at the piano because he's got hundreds oh. of tunes too that never got produced that mm-hmm. I helped to transcribe some of that stuff. And a lot of that stuff was he was known for classical music and jazz combination, which I don't think anyone else is really doing. So a lot of his pieces are more classically based. So that's partly why they never got recorded because you always needed a chamber orchestra or something like that. But yeah, he always wanted to be able to sit someplace and compose away from the piano because it it, it limits you as to what you can actually play. So you don't go beyond that when you write. Um, I admire that concept entirely, but I couldn't do it for the life of me. It's, yeah, I, I, that just stuck with me. That just stuck with me. He also, at one time, I think we were sitting and watching a couple of movies in the movies weren't very good, but he was flicking channels and he'd stop when he heard good music. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't even be watching the movie. He was listening to the soundtracks. And I always thought that was really interesting because he said, oh, listen here, that's a cello because he played cello. So he'd always be listening for cellos and things like that and orchestrations. So it's very interesting to, to talk to other um, musicians and say, what are they listening to? What are they hearing? Because I know for a fact he hears stuff or heard stuff that I didn't hear, at least at that time. And since that time, I've been searching for some of those things. I want to hear all those things, too. He's a towering figure. He's even properly documented. And you think he's you gotten his stuff out there as, as, as much as it's deserved to be? He's got sons and grandchildren. And so I'm just the niece. So <laughs> they're, they've yeah, got they stuff. They've got stuff going on. And hopefully it, mm-hmm. at some point. Other things will happen there. But yeah, but I just think about those things. And and every time I meet a composer, I'll say, hey, how do you hear things? What are your mm-hmm. ears hearing? What are your, is it an internal ear or is it an external ear or combination? Like when you're writing, what are you listening to? And so partly it's inner voice and outer voices too. But how do you separate those? How do you get those things out on a piece of paper or on a recording. Because as I've built up over years, I now hear four parts at a time as opposed to just one. Mm-hmm. So that I've gotten better. I can hear things in my head now that I couldn't hear before. So that's taken a really long time. <laughs> and I can go, oh, this is happening and this is happening on top of it and this is happening here and this is happening underneath. So I can hear these different levels now that I couldn't hear before. So I'm like, I'm wow. trying to get that ear that my uncle had. He told me really? about. So, and this is, again, this is for my audience mostly because hopefully there's people listening who have issues with this who have like, how do I get what I have in my head 
out. And I think it's like developing that, that inner ear to know what you're listening for. I'm more of a tunesmith. I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not a ranger. I'm not, I don't hear different parts. I'm just looking for a strong melody. And a strong melody will carry the day every time. Once you've got the melody, and do you work on the bass line separately? Or sometimes does the bass line come to you first? Or does it not come to you at all? And that comes from your ranger. I let the rangers do all the heavy lifting there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to, again, the complete circle, tell a story, and have a strong melodic movement is the key to writing for me. Mm-hmm. The melody has to move in an interesting compelling way and tell the story that's it you know i'm a simple guy as far as what you know what motivates me to put a good tune together i know what i have to do to make a good tune Mm -hmm. i just work on that Um, i work on that formula basically so at this point since you are retired how much time do you spend writing every day or not every day or i wrote I just had a two-year phase where I wrote 80 tunes from 2017 to 2019. And where they just, they were lined up. <laughs> there were so many tunes that were waiting to come out. And so I'm pretty exhausted, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't, I can't explain why that even happened. Just there, you know, I just could not stop writing. I just, there was a million things to write. And the inspiration was non-stop so who knows it's life life's strange weird sometimes i just got into i just wound up in that pocket where i could not but that inspiration was just endless i don't go figure go explain i don't know but i'm <laughs> right now i'm taking a break oh well, that's but, great that's fabulous yeah. gosh everybody would love to have runs that long so that's yeah, that was wonderful a, that was unusual so i'll take i'll take that gift and it is a gift and i'll, I'll just accept that gift and be happy and the time comes to start writing again, I'll know it. So. Is there anything on your bucket list of composition that you want to accomplish that you haven't done yet? Yeah, I have one more project that hasn't even taken shape yet with Rodney. This is with his Roy Hargrove band, and I checked with Rodney. He's okay to talk about this, but nothing's been lined up even yet. But I have 10 tunes from my prime list from Ultraspectrum, which is the, the main body of work, the tunes that most people are playing. And he's got um, Rodney on bass, Greg Hutchison on drums, you got Mark Carey, piano, Terrell Stafford on trumpet, Ron Blake on sax. So this is, and Raquel will come in and give us some more, she'll give me some inspiration to write a couple of tunes there. So that might get me started because I like to write for her directly. Mm-hmm. I've done several times. So she'll give me a poem or we'll have a conversation, that'll trigger. A tune, but this is the basically the um, Rodney's Roy Hargrove band, and they're interested in putting an album together. And I have to have ten tunes that from the prime tunes that, are, that have not had a wide exposure. So that's all. Another who knows six months a year, but that will, that will pretty much do it as far as the real as the complex, more um, the deeper material, I guess mm-hmm. that needs to, that hasn't come out yet. If I'm already satisfied. From that first book, most, basically everything but those 10 tunes have been, is on, has been recorded basically and performed. So Great. And then going through the other books, as I go along, I'm going to get together with Eldon and we're going to start playing some of the, the Moonduck stuff, which is a little more pop-oriented, a little more, how do you describe it? It's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually fun to play that stuff. Okay. So. Great. As far as the heavy material, yeah, that's to answer your question. Okay. One more to go on the really heavy stuff. All right. So finish the 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 heavier jazz, bigger band situations, and then go to the next several books. So you said the next books are a little bit lighter as far as a more pop oriented, or blues, yes. or. No, it's 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 contrast. I'm using some. Heavy use of dissonance, contrast with pop things. So you're going into, I think some of the classical composers have done this, where you, you just it, you make such a contrast between the dissonance and the consonance that it, it makes it interesting because you're, you're traveling between two different worlds there. Mm-hmm. And compositionally, it works because people take notice, okay, this is so dissonant, I wish it were resolving to something. Then it <laughs> resolves into something, and it does. 
Mm-hmm. And you overdo it a little bit. So I wish they'd make this more interesting. So then you you write another section that's, that has some distance thrown in. And so it's, I discovered that and, and I enjoyed it so much. And several of these have been performed. It seems to work quite well, but it's not heavy material. It's not bop. It's not the it's not my traditional blues bop ballads and Latin. It's it's pop and dissonance. Go figure out where this stuff comes from. No, oh, it works. That works. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to hear. Maybe that. we could participate some together sometime down the road with that. Well, I like that very mm-hmm. much because we've talked yeah. about it before, and it's oh, we've always been going at you know 200 miles an hour in different directions. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hopefully this could be an opportunity because the, the those first two books that's really difficult material. It's really hard. I can't even play some of that stuff. The last two books are are more accessible. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. More more open to arranging. Fantastic. All right. Where can people find you online? Uh, Greghilljazz.com. G-R-E-G-H-I-L-L-J-A-Z-Z.com. That's got all the albums, all the books, everything's available in the store there. All right. Thank you so much, Greg, for talking to me and and sharing your compositional journey and all of the amazing work that you're doing. I'm so pleased to see and keep it up. And hopefully we will get the chance to work together soon. So we're taking off where we left off. It's been several years. I remember seeing you in Lansing or East Lansing and we have a connection and we just, we don't cross paths geographically anymore. So we'll make that happen. Okay, definitely. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website, tiaviolin.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate your comments and will mind them to bring you more amazing episodes. I would like to thank this inaugural season sponsors, the folks at Jazz Lines of Bend, Michigan, or JAM. Michigan Art Share, a program of Michigan State University Extension, is a partner in supporting the Tia Time podcast and Sham Bones Music. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much. If you would also like to contribute to the show, you can find us on Patreon.com. If you want to continue the conversation about topics discussed in the show or start new ones with like-minded people, join us at the Tia Time Lounge on Facebook. Thank you for listening. See you next week at Tia Time. Thank you for joining us this week on Tia Time with Artist. Make sure to visit our website at tiaviolin.com where you can subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts to expand the reach of the show. We really appreciate that help. And we'd also like to say thank you so very much to our sponsors, Michigan ArtShare, a program of Michigan State University Extension, and Cold Plunge Records. And also all of our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without you. Thank you. We'll see you next week at Tea Time.